Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Well, good morning. Um, thank you so much for having me here today. I told Nathan, I was like, he's like, what should I say to intro you? And I'm like, I don't know, that's always so weird. Like, it's just weird. So anyway, so I'll tell you a little bit um, about myself. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit and yeah, yeah, uh, spent some time in the city proper. I got married when I was about four years old. Um, I was actually 20, but when I look back at wedding pictures, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is why some people were concerned, meaning my parents with my life choices, because I was so young. Um, And then, as still a very, very young 22-year-old, had my first child, Um, babies having babies, it was insane. And uh, we didn't get the memo, and a few years later, uh, we then stepped into the foster care system in the city of Detroit, where we went from then a growing family of two children, with a third on the way, to then five children. Um, So I had five children as a 26-year-old, which meant I was like running a small country, and my brain, I don't know if you know anything about the brain, but like it still hadn't fully formed yet by 26, right? Um, So I had three biological and two adopted kids, and then we moved to New York City, and we had another one see him there in the front, because apparently we still don't know how these things work. Um, But thankfully, I believe it's shut down now. There's more. Anyway, so uh, yeah, so this, these are my children from 14 in the back there all the way down to almost two, and um, this was taken just a few weeks ago driving through Niagara, because, you know, that's what you do with a bunch of kids. Um, so if I'm incoherent ever, it's their fault, not mine. Um, but we moved to the city, specifically to Roosevelt Island, a little over four years ago, and we started Hope Roosevelt Island Covenant Church. It's this crazy little church um, that sits right there on this rock in the middle of the East River. If you haven't been to Roosevelt Island, don't come. We don't need the rent prices to go up anymore. Um, But we're just a little bit further on this journey of a new church than this community here. And um, so it's a privilege and an honor for me to spend this morning with you. Um, I I get it. I understand all the things that are happening here. And so that's kind of what I'm going to talk about today is a new church and kind of some markings of it and what our role is in that. I have always been a food person. My husband, Dan, says that that's my spiritual pathway. Uh, I get emotional over food. And um, I think that this was always sitting below the surface in my whole life. But since moving to New York City, I have become a food snob. And a date night used to be Chili's Chicken Tacos. And a good steak was from Texas Roadhouse. Because, you know, you could eat good and save money. Like, that's awesome, right? Well, then we moved here. And I just, like, I can't go back, you guys. I can't. This place changes you. Before we moved to New York City, my husband and I went on one of those all-inclusive vacations, right? We went to this place, and I mean, we came home raving about the food. It was like I had died and gone to heaven. Like, it was a magical experience. But then after living here for just a few months and tasting what this city has to offer, Venezuelan, Korean barbecue, Astoria seafood market, and I don't know if this is cool here or not, but the cocktails, like mixology is a real thing, you guys. Um, 
We then went to another one of those all-inclusive places and I'm like stoked because I'm like, yes, I get to just eat my face off awesome food all week. And it's embarrassing to admit it, but I was incredibly disappointed <sighs> because I had tasted something better. And it costs a lot more, right? To live here, just that alone. To have access to these places, it costs a lot. And uh, to get to somewhere even, it costs your soul to ride on the subway sometimes to get to a place. Have you guys been to Corzo House? Do you know this place? It's here in Brooklyn, okay? It's deep fried burgers. It will change your life. I'm not even kidding you. And then there's that 9% sales tax in New York City, which is awful. It's costly, right? But I don't care what it costs because it's so much better. It's so much richer. It makes me so much more alive. It's an experience that invites me in. When someone cooks a steak poorly, I do not understand. <laughs> I have a friend who may be here with me who likes Whoppers. I do not understand. Do you know what is out there? It's like my kids, they think McDonald's is like magic. I'm like, you poor children, you just don't know yet. You just don't know. They're settling for such a cheap imitation of the real thing. And I often think though that that is how we approach church. We have been settling for McDonald's Big Macs when there is Corzo House deep fried burgers out there. But just like my kids think that McDonald's is culinary magic, we think that showing up on a Sunday here or there is what this is all about. We get in our rows, we hope that we hear something or experience something that kind of fills us up for the week and then we go on about our lives. It's fine. It checks the spiritual box. We don't give it too much thought because there are so many other things that we have to do. Guys, I have been following Jesus for a long time. I know I look young, but I was one of those early adopters and I have always followed him. And I've realized that this church thing isn't just meant, something that you're meant to show up and consume. There is something so much better for us, so much richer for us, and it is costly, but it is so good. I believe that you and I are being invited into a covenant with God and with his people, and because of that, how we engage as a church, how we handle ourselves, what we expect to get out, and what we put in matters. I feel like we settle for something less because we don't understand what is actually offered. We don't understand how then even we can go about getting it. There is a way for this gathering of people to be transformational in your life and in this community, but it is costly. It's not cheap. It's not always easy. It's not always convenient, but I believe it is so worth it. And you won't be able to go back once you've tasted it. I'm gonna make some asks of you as a people here that again might seem costly to you, but I believe that it's necessary for you not to settle for fast food church. I want you to understand though first, the heart behind that ask. I'm gonna pull back a little bit as someone, again, who has started a church in New York City, similar to like what's happening here, just a few years ahead of you, and share with you the posture that I am walking with, and I know with confidence that the leadership here is walking with as well. Today we're going to look at a passage um, from a letter that Paul wrote, and Paul, if you're familiar with him, he, uh, he was a church planter, missionary, follower of Christ. He started his life off um, as Saul, and he was a devout Jew who actually went around 
overseeing the deaths of these new Christians, and then had this radical encounter with the living God where everything changed for him. He went from Saul to Paul. He took his zeal from persecuting the church to sharing the good news about it. And he had come to Thessalonica after being in Philippi where he had been beaten and thrown in prison. And he's still, he's preaching the gospel. He's going around and he's sharing this message of who God is and what he's done for us through Christ. And to his utter delight and joy, it grabs hold of the people there. Their souls are stirred and the Holy Spirit is at work in them, teaching them and transforming them. And soon after, this community rooted in the truth of God forms. It is to this group that Paul is writing this letter in Thessalonica. This is what Paul does, is he goes and he starts churches and then he writes to them. This is, we see this all throughout, all throughout the scripture. Today I want to look back at to look at this passage, um, just a piece of one of these letters, and focus on what Paul says about himself and the way that he is approaching this group of people. His heart and his motivation. Again, before we make an ask for what it is I want you, I want you to see someone who started a church, somebody who's, who's going around and preaching the good news, what their heart and motivation is, because I think that we'll find ourselves in it and what role we have. So if you have Bibles, I encourage you to open them up. If you have a smartphone with an app, go ahead and flip to that. But we're gonna be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and this is from the English Standard Version. For you yourselves know, this is Paul speaking to the brand new Thessalonian church. Brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. When I read these words from Paul, I can feel the passion and the depths of love for these people. Paul goes on later in this letter to give instructions to the people of how to live, what is right and wrong, but before he reminds them of how they should be living, he reminds them of how this all started, that God gave him the message of the gospel and sent him to them. And Paul makes it clear that he didn't just show up and yell at them and say, hey, this is what you should be doing, and then go back to his tent. Now listen to these phrases, brothers, like a nursing mother taking care of her children, like a father with his children. The message paraphrase says, with each of you, we were like a father with his child, holding your hand, whispering encouragement, showing you step by step how to live well before God. 
who called us into his own kingdom, into his delightful life. He says, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become so very dear to us. Share not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, our very lives. Can you feel the intensity of the love in these words? I spent my formative years at a megachurch. Not quite Joel Osteen level, but it was big. It was really big. Big enough that I could be up on stage speaking or singing, whatever it was, and never have to deal with any of you actual people. People would show up, they would listen, they would leave, and nobody would necessarily even know your name. There were no name tags. But as I started to go through life, and the good experiences, and the bad, some of the more trying, having children, having children with special needs, moving, losing jobs, gaining jobs, losing loved ones, the more I dug into the gospel and what it is that God is actually inviting us into, I realized there was something about this church experience that I was missing. Again, this church did some great things. I love them. They're awesome. But the language that I see here in Thessalonians, it wasn't true, certainly, of me. I wasn't holding anyone's hand. I wasn't whispering encouragement. I wasn't showing anyone step by step. I wasn't sharing my very life. As we realized this, we decided we wanted to try to live this out differently. And so started this little church on Roosevelt Island in the middle of East River in Manhattan. I went from a 15,000 person church to a hundred some person church. And I have experienced something new, something richer, and I don't think I can ever go back. As Paul says in this letter, I have been sharing my very life with people. I've thrown birthday parties for strangers' kids, celebrated sobriety milestones, put people in cabs who couldn't make it safely home, taught English classes to women and their children, started a little league in a community development organization, put out sheets and blankets for kids and for travelers. I've cooked chili, cooked chicken, cooked brownies and beef bourguignon and lasagna, and then attempted to cook for all you gluten-free, dairy-free, no red meat, no bone, no skin, no peanuts crowd. You're difficult, but I love you. Hosted financial classes and marriage groups and women's retreats and visited the hospital and thrown baby showers. I've baptized neighbors and new friends and my own children. I've seen my people at the farmer's market on the subway platform in the school pickup line. I've also said goodbye to people as they've left the city or left the church. I've mourned with people the loss of their parents, the loss of siblings, even of children. I can truly say that in the last four years, everything about the church for me has been flipped on its head. And I look at the people in my community now and I care for them like a mother cares for her children. I long for them to be whole and holy and comforted and connected. I am celebrating with them and I am grieving with them and praying with them. And I've gotten to know the people who are leading this community here as well. And I know that this is their heart for you as well. They have been moved by the power of God in their own lives and out of love for him and for you. They are toiling tirelessly to bring this good news to you. They are sharing their very lives with you, opening their home, meeting you in your spaces, praying for you, answering your questions, working whatever extra jobs they can to make ends meet just so they can stay here with you, welcoming you, making you feel accepted and cared for while teaching you the truth of the gospel. But you will miss it 
and get the McDonald's experience instead of the rich, transformative life of the church that God intended it to be if you don't implement some principles into your life and how it is that you interact with this community. They're costly, they're inconvenient, but they're worth it. The first of these is consistency. And honestly, I feel like with this one, I may be preaching to the choir a little bit because it's Labor Day weekend in the rain and you're here. But um, <laughs> we never expect you to come when it's like this, just so you know. We want you, but... Um, in the book of Acts, we read about the very first church, and this passage has been pointed out so many times when there's a new church or a new movement of faith, um, but I want to point this part out to you. In uh, verse 46, it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Day by day together, day by day. Consistency cannot be overrated. You and I have so many options, especially when it comes to church. You're going to find better preaching. You're going to find better music. You're going to find better food, better small groups, better table experiences. You, on just a regular week, are going to have offers to brunches and Saturday nights that go way too late and trips out to the Hamptons or to go skiing. You have so many options pulling you to be elsewhere. This is my plea to you. Show up consistently. Be here. Join a table group this fall and show up. Move other things in your life around to be fully present. To expect that this is going to do anything for you, and, for you and transform you with an hour and a half a couple times a month is ludicrous. I've worked out four times in the last month, and I legitimately think my pants should fit better. Like, it's insanity. <laughs> the same thing is true of the church. We have, a, as a culture, and definitely as a generation, have lost our minds when it comes to all of the options and the lack of commitment that has come with it. With the easy text cancellation, just stop it. Get my mom voice on you, just stop it. <laughs> Show up and be present. This is what God gives us, is his presence. And what a gift it is for us to be able to give that to the people around us, to consistently be there and show up. If you are new here, lean in. Bring your full self, ask questions, give space for answers. You're not going to agree with everything you hear here. You're not. Don't expect to. You're not going to like the music every week. You're not going to like the message every week. You might be hating it right now, and it's fine. Um, it's not going to happen if you're inconsistent. It's just not. It might tick your spiritual box. You might feel good about yourself, but the transforming power of the body of Christ will not happen if you are inconsistent. My plea to you is move stuff around. Not in a legalistic, weird way. Your salvation doesn't ride on whether or not you show up to church. But the potential for this community to be transformative in your life and in this whole community requires your presence. And saying no to other things is costly. I get it. It's worth it. Second thing is conflict. Conflict is going to happen. Conflict is not a calling somewhere else. That has been a consistent mistake 
that I have seen over and over and over again. As people think they wanna be a part of a community, as soon as they hear something they don't like or see something they don't like, or they maybe get offended, they're like, I'm out. I got somewhere else I could be. It's not a calling elsewhere. Other thing you need to know is that pastors are fallible. Very. They're gonna let you down. They can't fix it. Paul, in this passage to the Thessalonians, talks about how upright and holy his companions are. And that's awesome, but that's not always the case. We're going to get it wrong, just as parents get it wrong sometimes. But here's the truth. The desire is to love you, to lead you as best as we can to Jesus. Is every problem solvable? No. Are you supposed to be best friends with everybody? No. But when you don't enter into conflict, period, when you just don't enter into it, you are guaranteeing that the relationship is over. There's no chance for it because eventually it will fester to a point that you've, you've got to go. Jesus gives a strong direction to Matthew about how to handle conflict. Matthew 5, this is the message paraphrase. He says, this is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and are about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. What's that mean? Do not walk into this room. Do not walk into someone's home knowing that there is beef between the two of you and not do anything about it. God's like, listen, I got all the time in the world. You don't have all the time with this person. If you let those things fester, it's going to kill it. Pastor Andy Stanley at Northridge, or sorry, North Point in Georgia says that when there is a gap between expectations and reality, what we put in that gap indicates how our family or our church or our organization or our marriage, whatever it is, will operate. Either we assume the worst or we believe the best. Everyone I know wants other people to believe the best about them when they've fallen short of someone's expectations. The train was late. You misunderstood me. And on and on, right? My plea to you is that when it comes to people in this community, when there is a gap between your expectation and reality because it will happen. You're still in the newness, this is still real fun, but a year from now, eh. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it's gonna happen. What you put in that gap to believe the best, to believe that the desire and the heart of Russ is to love you and care for you and bring the good news of the gospel so that there is, if there's something that seems off, go and speak to him. Do not go stirring it up with other people. Don't let it fester in your soul. Go and have a conversation. If I seem passionate about this, it's because I am. We've just gone through a season where there have been people that I love dearly who are refusing to enter into conflict. And I'm watching them bounce from good feeling to good feeling to good feeling. There's no transformation. There's no lasting joy. They're not really living in community. And it breaks my heart. I don't want that for this group of people. Be a community that enters into the scariness of conflict. And I know for some of you, you've got baggage when it comes to conflict, right? Your mama handled things in a really bad way. Pete Scazzaro out in Queens, he says, Jesus may live in your heart, but grandpa is in your bones. And our family of origin follows us around when it comes to conflict. Dive into it. No conflict, like avoiding it is the worst possible thing that you can do. 
Ugly conflict is better than no conflict. But the whole time, keep that in your mind. Believe the best. Seek for reconciliation. It will cost you your pride. It will cost you your comfort. But I believe that <laughs> this, is, this is something. Entering into conflict like that with a community of people is so countercultural. You want something different than what's happening in the rest of the world? That is different. Because as soon as there's a conflict anywhere else, I'm out. I got something else I could be doing. Believe the best. Another thing, this is kind of connected to conflict, but just sort of a side note. In the same way that conflict is not a calling elsewhere, a dry season in your own life is not a calling elsewhere either. Because again, you'll have that same thing where you just bounce from place to place to place. Side note. Consistency, conflict, and lastly, covenant. Ultimately, God invites us into a covenantal relationship with him and with each other. I want you to listen to how Jesus prayed for us. In John chapter 17, this is the message paraphrase, it says the goal is for all of them, talking about us, this is Jesus praying, talking about us, to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us then the world might believe that you in fact sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them. So they'll be as unified and together as we are, I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved me in the same way you've loved them. You've loved me, sorry. It always struck me that Jesus right near the end of his life, spend so much time praying for us and for our unity, for the church. There's so many other things he could have been praying for, but this was important to him, that we would understand that because of him, because of the love of the Father and the sacrifice of his Son, we don't move just from one faith to another. One of the things our church says is that we move from one family to another, that Jesus left his family to create family for those that don't have family. So now as adopted daughters and sons of the Father, we are brothers and sisters with each other. And that changes everything. They're gonna make you mad. They're gonna let you down. But that commitment to go, you know what, what is it that's been done for me and how can I share my very life with the people around me. As we consistently um, show up and dive into the hard stuff with, with the people around us, it's important that we understand that it comes out of what it is that Christ has done for us. That's the important thing too with the covenant because the reality is, like I said, this is, it's countercultural. The rest of the world doesn't get this. To stay in things when it's hard or confusing or uncomfortable, it's not like the rest of the world. And the only way that we can do that is through the power of Christ in us. And he gives us that power to walk through things. And when we do, I'm telling you, it is holy ground. You won't be able to go back. Over the last couple years, um, I've had the heartache and the privilege of sharing my life with a family. They live in the building next door to me, found out that their second child was gonna be born with Down syndrome and had a heart defect. 
and it was agonizing, so incredibly disappointing for the family of what was to come. But I was in it with them, going to the hospital, watching their other child. Day, as, as much as I could do, and I have limitations, I have a lot of my own kids, right? And unfortunately, their little girl at eight months old passed away, and it was awful. I mean, it was just hell. We talk about the worst things in life, that was it. But I remember sitting around my dining room table the night before the funeral, going through pictures and videos of this sweet baby girl with her parents crying and laughing with them. And going, I, it doesn't make sense. I have more questions than answers now, but I wouldn't trade this and this honor for anything. You have an opportunity to be that, to be in those moments, the good and the bad, as a brand new church, in ways that will shock the neighborhood. That's my plea, is for you to do it, because the reality is New York City doesn't need another fast food church option. It doesn't need any more choices. It needs people who say, I'm embracing my limitations and I'm choosing to be committed here. My presence will be noticed. It needs people who say, I'm not gonna let my pride and my idols and my comfort win. I will believe the best and not assume the worst of my leaders and have this group of people. I'm gonna enter into conflict even when it's uncomfortable or maybe I don't think it's necessary. It needs people who will say, I'm going to covenant my life with God through Christ with these people. I'm going to share my very life. And we've been given a picture of what that looks like through Christ, what it means to give our very lives. Liz is gonna come up. We're gonna get ready in just a moment to receive communion. What's so great is that he gives us this picture of his body broken, of his blood shed for us that we might be in relationship. It's costly, but it is so worth it. I pray for us and we'll receive communion together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this new body of believers and people who are questioning. I don't know where people are at in their faith, God, but you know, and you love them. God, I thank you for Russ and Anna and Nathan and Stephanie and Liz, and I know there's so many others that I don't know, um, but that you have called and equipped and brought here to love and care for this community as a mother cares for her own, as a father holds the hand and whispers encouragement. Father, thank you for the covenant that you have with us, that it's nothing that we do. We get to live out all of these ways because of what you've done for us, because of your bloodshed on the cross. You have accepted us and loved us before we do anything. And out of gratitude, we get to extend our full selves to those around us. Heavenly Father, as we now take communion. 
bread, a symbol of your body broken. Jesus and the blood, of your, the cup of your bloodshed for us that covers over all of our sin. Or may we have gratitude. Thank you for your sacrifice and that we are fully accepted. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts, and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.